The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mental Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gregorides, transformational coach, entrepreneur, psychonaut, and martial artist. And I'm so excited to bring you a guest today who's going to discuss a really important topic, which is fear. And fear is something that to me represents a huge hurdle in a actualized man's efforts to overcome himself. And if you don't conquer fear, you will never live the life of your dreams. It's as simple as that. And so any strategies and tools that we can gain to help us in this area of our lives, to me, are invaluable if we're men on the path. And as I said, the guest today, he brings some real actionable advice and some great stories from his own experience of how he managed to overcome it. This is one of those episodes that's a a real must listen, and I know you guys are going to absolutely love it. So here we go. Let's dive into the latest episode of the show. Guest's name is Chuck Ryland. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I know if it hasn't been too consistent over the last uh, few weeks with the corona thing going down, but we're going to make up for it today with today's guest, who is a very fascinating man. He's a man of many talents. That's one of the reasons I, I'm always excited to talk to him and engage with him. He has had several different careers. He studied a vast range of topics and excelled in pretty much all of them. He's currently doing his doctorate in clinical psychology. And he's just a, he's a dude's dude. You know, he's one of those super actualized guys that knows how to fight, knows how to attract women, knows how to manage his money, knows how to do a lot of cool things that we all should be learning. And uh, I'm very proud and happy to welcome Chuck Ryland. Chuck, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks. I'm glad we can talk again. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You you came on the sh- on my show when it was still branded as a jiu-jitsu podcast, and we discussed a lot of your work um, with the police force. So we, we probably won't go into that too much today. But one of the the I think the main topic today that I would like to dive into is that you say um, you're obsessed with what drives human behavior and how we can reach our goals. And I guess let's start there. In your particular study and, and your research. What are some of the things that, that drive our behavior, in, in particular men's behavior? I think when we talk about men in particular, fear and insecurity tends to drive behavior, particularly in our younger years. And as we get older, we have more life experiences. Hopefully, we've done things to become more confident. And that's kind of the aim of been the aim of my life is to do things to overcome fears and insecurities. And the more confident we become, the more we're able to live the life we want to live rather than trying to please other people and living for other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. You know, I, I'm at a point now where I consider myself a reasonably confident person. There's definitely room for growth. And I, I believe I respond reasonably well to fear. And I was there was a moment a few weeks ago where I was kind of patting myself on the back. And then a memory bubbled to the surface of something that I went through when I was younger. And I realized, God damn, I was a terrified little kid. <laughs> I was absolutely terrified of, of many, many things. And I took, I guess I took a very roundabout route to, to gaining a level of confidence. I guess you and your work have figured out ways that 
faster ways to do that, to gain this confidence that you speak of? And what are some of those ways or what's been beneficial for you? Yeah, I I lived the same way. I lived a childhood in fear. I think I, I had a really rough childhood, difficult father, a lot of poverty. And, um, so I grew up with a lot of fear and insecurity. I think I think it's typical for a lot of young men. But then I, I eventually entered police work. And so I was kind of forced to overcome a lot of fears. And a lot of it I did intentionally. Um, what I found was whatever it is that scares you, you just got to confront it head on, kind of progressively in small doses. And mm-hmm. so uh, martial arts was a big part of that, learning how to fight. I don't think there's any man, at least a young man, that doesn't walk into a bar and have something in the back of his mind wondering if somebody's going to give him trouble or they're going to bump shoulders walking out of the bathroom or how that's going to play out because everybody's kind of puffing up their chest when there's alcohol and females around. And, and, I mean, that's one level of actual physical fear. But other things like uh, I, I like surfing and I like scuba diving. And those things are frightening. And so... I constantly had these fears in the ocean of sharks. And so just as one example, I I finally decided I I need to go diving with sharks. And so I went down to Honduras and we purposely went scuba diving with some sharks. And it was was frightening, but exhilarating. And so I constantly exposed myself to these situations where something that bothers me, I I attack it. And uh, the more you do that, the less things begin to worry you. Mm-hmm. And the more confident you become, and it impacts you in more ways than you can imagine. I mean, most people don't plan to dive with sharks, but these, and most people don't plan to get in fights, but that doesn't mean that learning martial arts, for example, can't help you immensely in your career mm-hmm. or at work, or th- these things all kind of overlap. Sure, they, they really do. I mean, well, there's a few things that came to mind while you were elaborating. One of them is, uh, I've I've shifted largely away from jujitsu. I still I still teach my um, my affiliates and I teach some seminars and a couple of private lessons, but I'm definitely not a professional fighter anymore or professional jujitsu coach. And and one of the things I do notice that that gave me that that time I spent with martial arts is if I'm in a business meeting or you know talking to a, a supplier or yeah any any kind of business interaction, you know I have this this definite sense that no one, no one's going to dominate me, or at least they're not going to dominate me easily, right? Because, you know, I, it would never come down to a fight. But knowing that if it did, uh, you know, that I'd have some kind of recourse. Because I think that's ultimately, at, you know, the root of many of our insecurities and fears is physical violence, right? Like when you get into an argument with someone and your blood starts pumping and your face gets flushed and you have all these physiological fear responses. If you dive deep enough, the the concern is that your physical body is going to get harmed, right? Like that's that's the underlying fear is that you're going to get hurt or injured or killed. And knowing or, or doing that in a controlled circumstance, practicing that in a controlled set of circumstances, like a martial arts class, kind of, I don't want to say immunizes you because that's too strong of a word, but it does greatly diminish that that root fear. So I totally agree with with what you've said. Another thing that I've noticed, Chuck, that is absolutely fascinating to me is, you know, I'm sure you've you've got a toolbox of psychological tricks that, or, or actions that we can take to increase confidence and decrease fear. But one of the big breakthroughs I had over the last year in my life, which was very difficult for me to accept, 
is that our chemical makeup plays such a huge role in the way we feel and the way we move through the world. And for me, the, the reason I came to that understanding is is because um, I got into testosterone replacement therapy a couple of years ago. And there is no doubt about it that I take more risks and I'm less afraid now that I'm on testosterone than, than before. And uh, I'd love to get your opinion on that as well. Well, that's fascinating. I, I had considered the the risk factor because I take it to what what it absolutely what I've noticed for me is that it absolutely provides with more energy and more desire to take on the world with testosterone replacement. Almost like uh, the difference between depression and non depression. Like it's almost that severe for me um, taking it. And so um, that's interesting what you say about that. I, I find that that life energy as you get into your 40s or something, you know, they say you lose 1% per year of testosterone after the age of 18. And so I think it's a vital thing to at least try to get back to those normal levels. Sure. Because when we're young, we're, we're vital and we're full of energy. And then as we tend to get older, we get beat down by life, both physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so if we can do something that gives us a little bit back, physically then the emotions tend to come with it and and i think it's it covers multiple things so if you're if you're not feeling it physically then you're not going to do activities which will then impair you emotionally Mm. and so you were talking earlier about immunization I, i think another word for that is inoculation inoculation of fear and so the more physical energy you have the more you can go on and take on the world the more you can inoculate yourself to other fears and the other thing I was thinking about when you're talking about the idea of, of immunization to fear, I, I remember when I was young, I was doing Taekwondo a lot before jujitsu. And um, I, I was pretty good back when I was young at Taekwondo. And I can recall being in the in front of the drill sergeant in the police academy and they're screaming at you, you know, trying to intimidate you. And, and the same fears that you were talking about were kind of going through my head where you start getting a stress response and you start sweating and you're breathing harder and stuff. And uh, I remember the self-talk because you're asking about tools and stuff. And I remember my self-talk at some point and I told myself, he can yell at me all he wants, but in the end I could beat his ass. And, <laughs> and that really like changed everything for me getting through that police academy because I really believed it. Now who knows if it was true or not, but I really believed it. And so it was a tool and uh I remember at the end of the academy that drill sergeant wrote in my thing that says um, Mr. Ryland has an aura of confidence about himself. And, and <laughs> That's great. And, and you translate that into a meeting with a lawyer or with your boss. And I still am able to take that with you. But then coming back to the testosterone idea, if you're feeling beat down, you're not going to have that confidence physically, emotionally, and you're, and you're going to react to fear more frequently or more severely um, and then you're going to make poor decisions. So it all kind of interlinks. Sure. I mean, I, I made that. I made the testosterone um, point not because I think people should just rush out and go get TRT, but more because the the bigger idea that I, I really hope to impart to people is that your chemistry plays your your phys- physiological chemistry plays such a huge role. Your brain chemistry plays such a huge role that. You know, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the power of thoughts. You know, it's, it's one of the things that guides everything I do. It's one of the, the founding 
corners, the cornerstones of the foundation of my life is like your, your life is only as, um, good as the quality of your thoughts, I believe. So I'm always trying to improve the quality of my thoughts. But what I've realized is that that can only take you so far. And if there is something chemically wrong in your body, whether it's because you drink too much alcohol and it's acting as a depressant, uh, depressant and changing your chemicals, or whether you have a chemical imbalance neurobiologically because of depression, or you've been hit in the head too many times, or whether your testosterone is low, whatever it is, if the chemicals in your body and your brain are not in a correct or healthy balance, it's almost impossible to be happy, right? And I, it was very difficult for me to accept that because I always just used to believe, no, it's just the mind. It's just, it's just your thoughts. Like if you choose to be happy or successful or balanced, you're going to be that. But I've realized it, it isn't as simple as that, which is, it was difficult to accept. But once you accept it, I guess that's when you can be empowered and, and learn how to master that as well. That chemical change can can happen, you know, you're th- I think you're thinking like or explaining on a broad term. And I, I would take it even a step further and say moment by moment that can change. Because if we're in a state of calmness, we have a certain chemical makeup. But then when we go into a state of fear, the chemicals change like instantly and we start mm-hmm. changing. And it impairs the way that we think, the way that we react and everything. And so our ability to uh, manage stress, manage fear definitely impacts the way that we think behave feel all of these things yeah it, it really really does and you the word i'm really glad you brought up the word uh, in, inoculate because that is a better word than immunize specifically for what i was um, trying to describe and it reminded me of that i'm not sure if you're a fan of the band tool but they're, they're they have a track yes, called fear, yes. fear inoculum if i'm not mistaken i would on their new album and man someone sent the, the lyrics from that that song to me about four or five weeks ago and i remember i hadn't really listened it wasn't one of my favorite tracks on the album i hadn't listened to it too much so i wasn't too familiar with the lyrics and when i read them i was like i thought someone had written them specifically for the times that we're living through you know i couldn't believe it i was like wow this is really really good and then when i found out it was it was actually the lyrics to a song that had come out last year sometime it's it's so prescient and so it's almost like they predicted this was going to happen and and they predicted our response. And for me, one of the things I'd love for you to share with everyone, uh, Chuck, because I believe you have some deep insights into this is, you know, everyone, everyone's living through the same thing at the same time, which is the coronavirus or COVID-19. And one of the things that I've really been let down by, and I've, I've been saying to people, I've lost a, quite a lot of faith in humanity is just seeing, seeing how afraid everyone is, just the, the fear and the terror, like the abject terror of something you know, that they don't even know how bad, no one knows how bad it is or how bad it's going to get to what everyone claims to have an opinion of this is what's going to happen. And this many people are going to die. And this is what's going to happen to the economy. But the truth is, and, and I, I've yet to heard someone argue this properly or argue against this properly, but no one knows what's going to happen. And yet everyone is so terrified. And if there's someone listening out there who's just, you know, like overwhelmed with fear regarding this particular scenario, what would you say to them? What would be the first piece of advice you'd give? It's a really fascinating question to me because I've thought about it in depth. In the beginning of this coronavirus, there was a lot of unknowns and I saw what was happening in China and then I saw what was happening in Italy. And so in the beginning, we didn't know. And and when I say we, I'm talking the administration under President Trump all the way down. I don't think anyone knew. So I felt like the response was appropriate when there was an unknown danger. And so I, I wasn't afraid, but I was taking cautious 
I was behaving cautiously. As time passed on, the data came in and we began to know more and I began to become less concerned. That doesn't mean I think it's I think it's a real disease. The virus is real. But what I don't think is the reaction is real or the reaction doesn't warrant the data that we have. And so to answer your question, I'll start out with every individual has a different threshold for the amount of fear that they can take. So I'm I'm heavily involved in the world of law enforcement where these people tend to have a higher ability to handle fear or risk. And, and I'll give an example. Um, I learned this from a marriage therapist when I was trying to understand my wife. And he says, look, men and women are different, tend to be different. He says, if a man and woman is a cave, the woman is in the cave saying, God, it's so safe. I don't want to go outside of that cave where it's dark and dangerous and there's animals and predators. And, and it's part of the nature sometimes for them to stay home and nest where it's more safe. And they're also not physically as strong. Whereas the man says, look outside that cave. There's all this opportunity and all this excitement and all this stuff that I could go do. I want to go out and conquer it. And so that's obviously an overgeneralization, but it explains kind of the differences between two different human beings. They don't necessarily have to be man or woman. And so each individual is going to cope with this thing differently depending on their makeup. But I'll tell you, for me personally, was in the beginning, I, I really did the lockdown pretty seriously. But as I got more information, I started looking at it, taking a risk assessment. Okay, what is the true risk to me? What is the true risk to my family and to others? And when you look at it, the risk was very, very tiny. Uh, I, I think we're getting very close to this thing. The risk is equal to the flu. I don't know if we're there yet, but we're very close. Mm -hmm. Not yet. And, and that's not my opinion. That's based on the data. And you, you can get different data and different things. But anyway, what I said was, I finally said to myself, because someone asked me a good question. They said, okay, you don't care about your own danger because you're a police officer and you you know, I've literally had friends who've been shot and killed, but I still went out and did the job. So I had a certain degree of tolerance to risk. And the person says, okay, you're not, you don't care as much about your own safety, but what if you catch it, you give it to your son and then your son dies? And I thought it was such a great question. And I said, based on the risk, based on the data, I'm willing to accept that risk. Just like when I drive in down the freeway with my son in the car, I'm risking that he or I will die together. Or he and I go surfing, there's a risk here in California of getting killed by a shark. When we go scuba diving, there's a risk that we will drown. There's a risk when we snowboard that something bad will happen. And we accept that risk. We don't have unnecessary risk, but we take calculated risk. Because the thought of hiding and not living and going bankrupt and the depression and the alcohol and the substance abuse that comes with all that to me is a more is a is a greater threat than the risk that we're facing and so i accepted that risk and we still you know wash our hands and do the best we can to distance and all that stuff but i calculated the risk and i accepted it as a cost of living Oh, that's great. That's really great. Which actually brings to mind something I read uh, many years ago, which is life is risk, right? Life literally is a risk. It's a gamble. And when you close, which is closely linked to another thought that, um, you know, I was chatting to a friend yesterday I hadn't heard from in a while. And he just, he said to me, one of the reasons that people have had such a hysterical overblown, exaggerated reaction to all this is because everyone's so terrified of dying. Right. And, and he just said, 
look, you have to accept that you're going to die. You're going to die one day. And that might be tomorrow, right? You might get hit by a bus tomorrow. You might not be lying on your deathbed at 80 with your family and loved ones around you singing you Kumbaya. That might not happen, right? And you, it's something you have to accept. And I think once you do accept that, it, it really makes things, it changes your perspective and everything. And I think that someone like you, who's been in a, a career who puts you in situations where you get a lot closer to death a lot more frequently, probably automatically gets that acceptance. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Because I mean, my, a big piece of my career is training officers in the areas of use of force, which is fighting and these kind of things. And so like when I was on the SWAT team, we were going into the most dangerous possible situations, but we were always working very hard to, to reduce the risk and give us the advantage to the degree possible, but, but you never eliminate the risk. You're just mm-hmm. trying to reduce and trying to maximize your chance of success. And so you do, you accept it. That doesn't mean you're reckless, not at yeah. all. In fact, you, you, I'm very, very cautious about the things that I do, but it's more important to me to live life. I, I see a lot of depression in people, a lot of, disappointment in life when they they want to do something but they're just afraid and and the more things you do in life and you fail it and nothing bad happens meaning you try to change your job and that doesn't work out and or you you go bankrupt or whatever bad things happen and you don't die you realize it's not really that bad yeah because yeah. you've heard this before everyone has heard this but you talk to old people. I love talking to old people. I'm talking to 85, 90 year old people. And you ask them, what are their regrets? They never, ever regret something they did. They always regret something they didn't do. And I don't ever want to have that ever. That's yeah. I absolutely love that. Thank you for bringing that up, Chuck. I think that's, that's so important. And I came upon this piece of understanding through something I went through in life, which is, I think really it's really, it's been super helpful to me and I'm sure you understand it as well and on a similar level. But I remember I was with a, a girlfriend that I'd been with for way too long. You know, like, you know, when you're in that mm-hmm. relationship, well, those relationships and the, there's nothing wrong. They're not a bad person, but you just realize that, okay, it's time, it's time to move on. But you're too afraid because they're an amazing person. And I, I remember I was, I kept thinking, what if I, what if I break up with her and I'm not happy? That was the thought that kept going through my mind. What if I break up with her and it was a big mistake? What if it's the wrong decision? And the thing that finally got me over the hump, finally, like after spending two years longer in that relationship than I should have, was I realized I'm not happy now. That was the thing that hit me. I was like, so there's nothing to lose. Right. There's literally nothing to lose. And I think a lot of people live their lives in that they, they want to take this radical step or just make this big change or start a new career or leave a partner that they know is not good for them anymore or start a business or whatever it might be. And they keep thinking, but what if I make a mistake? What if I fuck up? I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be hurt or I'm going to, and then if you ask the question, like, are you happy now? Or are you not actually feeling that hurt now already by not doing the thing you, you want to do? And you realize that, yeah, you are then you realize there's no real risk because you're already at the bottom, right? There's nowhere to right. go but up. So yeah, it sounds like you, you, you're, you and I are on the same wavelength with that. And I really appreciate that. Chuck, I wanted to speak to you about, um, so you've said that there's three things that a man must master to be fully self-actualized and, and, uh, 
and happy. One of them we've discussed already, which is fighting. And I guess that's related to martial arts, but the other two are money and woman. And I'd love to hear a little bit about both of those and, and how you feel men can master them. Well, th- this is my theory from my life experience and working with my clients. You know, I, I haven't found any science that specifically talks about this, but it really comes from me overcoming my own struggles, to be quite honest, in those three things, which is, um, you know, fighting. We already did talk about walking into a bar, not being intimidated by a boss or whatever, because like you said earlier, every altercation subconsciously, it comes down to a fight or flight response with, with that other man, whether we're physically in danger or not. But the other two, I think, of women and um, money is they're all interlinked. I think that we we all crave companionship. I think it's a human need. I don't think we are meant to be alone. And so we need connection with typically the opposite sex or whatever it is that your thing is. And so I think much of what drives us is the ability to, to attract that person. And so a lot of the things that we do, like buy a fancy car or buy a nice home, I think consciously or, or unconsciously are driven by the desire to attract the other mate. I don't think if we lived on a deserted island, we would want a Ferrari, for example. I just don't (laughs) think we would. There'd be no purpose. And so the ability to earn income, the ability to to make money drives a lot of our behavior and our ability to attract the other sex, to become a worthwhile mate who can support a family and so forth. So, So part of the money part is attracting the other mate. But the other part of, of earning money to me, I think, is even more important. And that is having a skill where you contribute value to the world. So it's not just about making money. It's about contributing value. Because if you're a trust fund person, you, you've conquered that. Um, you no longer have the need to earn money, but you still need to contribute value to the world in order to feel worthwhile. And typically, mm. money follows the amount of contribution you, that you put into the world. And so it, they all three overlap, in my opinion. If you can, if you're confident in your ability to fight, you're going to be worth more money and you're going to be more attractive to a woman. If you can contribute more value into the world, you'll be more happy, more confident, more attractive to a female. All these three interlink. And I see with my clients that they usually excel in two of the three and one's missing. They might be able hmm. to attract women, but they don't know how to fight. They might be able to make money, but they don't know how to fight. They may have lots of money and they think that automatically attracts the women, but no, they need the self-confidence that comes from being able to fight. So I think they're heavily interlinked. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And the way I've, I've kind of understood it on a slightly different or in a slightly different way, but the way you've, you've tied them all together and and your particular explanation is absolutely fantastic. And that's, I mean, the word that popped into my mind while you were describing that is just wisdom. That's pure wisdom for men specifically. And yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Chuck, I think that's the perfect point at which to, to end it. You've, you've shared so much knowledge and wisdom. And, and uh, I'm inspired by this conversation, as I'm sure the listeners will be too. If the people um, tuning in want to find out more about you, maybe read one of your amazing books, where should they go to find out more? Yeah, I've written six books and they, they've all been kind of based on that idea of those three pillars that I just talked about. They all kind of overlink, but you can find them on Amazon. You just search Chuck Ryland. I have a website, chuckryland.com. 
you can get on my newsletter list or um, connect with me on Facebook. Um, I'm happy to connect with people. I love meeting like-minded people. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put a link to, to you in the show notes. Chuck, I hope the next time we speak, we've both gathered even more wisdom on money, fighting, and women and can share it <laughs> with each other. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good talking to you. Yeah, that's such a such a dense topic of fear and something I think about a lot because there have been several times in my life that I've I've come to that point where I've had to face a fear and I've and I've backed down, you know, and I haven't been strong enough to overcome it. And it's almost always not led somewhere good. So to me, anything that you can do to make yourself more prone to facing and overcoming your fears will directly improve the quality of your life for sure. And um, I'm just happy to have Chuck reinforce that or confirm that because you can hear he's someone who he's traveled a long road to become the man that he is. And those guys always have the the best advice and the best stories, in my opinion. You know, I've got, um, I've got a trip tomorrow. It's, uh, I'm going to Seattle, Washington, and it's the first time I am, I don't want to say leaving my house because I've left my house a bunch of times, but the first time I've, I'm leaving home for an extended period in, in months, actually, since, since the beginning of the year, I used to travel a hell of a lot. I was on the road most, most months. And this year it's been very different. I've spent a lot of time at home, not just because of coronavirus and the lockdown, but also because I've made an active uh, decision to change my lifestyle and I've, I've changed my business and done a bunch of other things. And so tomorrow I've got this first flight and, uh, you know, I must've done 300, maybe 500 international and national flights in the course of my life. And it never gets easier for me. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm always still a little bit afraid of flying. I think partly it's because, uh, I was on a flight once in Southeast Asia that went through a storm and I was pretty convinced I was going to die. Like I, I didn't think the plane was going to make it like on the ascent. And it, it, I think it left me with a little bit of trauma. So I'm always a little bit apprehensive and a little bit nervous. And then combined with that is the whole COVID-19 thing. And it's my understanding Seattle's an area that's been hit pretty bad. And anyway, I'm just generally a little bit apprehensive about it, but um, I'm doing my very, very best to to face my fears. And I think it's one of those things like many things in a man's life, it's never just done. It's never just something you get handled. It's a continual, constant process. You know, you're constantly going to be walking that edge, facing your fears. Uh, and once you accept that, it makes it easier when you accept that this is just part of the way it is. Uh, I'm reading an amazing book at the moment. It's, it's truly blowing my mind. It's called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. You guys know I don't really recommend in the intros or the outros, I don't recommend books that often, um, but this one is, is something truly special. I'm trying to get Dr. Henry Cloud on the show. I've just reached out to him, so hopefully he'll be coming on the show soon. But in the book, one of the things he says is that the wise person adapts himself to reality and a foolish person tries to adapt reality to himself. And uh, I think that's that's very tied into this this idea of fear right like it's you have to change yourself you don't change the situation because there's always going to be fearful situations in life 
And so you, instead of trying to change those situations and fix them or put a bandaid on them or pretend they don't exist, you should try to become the kind of person who will respond appropriately to fear. Anyway, it's just a thought. Uh, I'll be back next week with another amazing guest for you guys. And until then, stay safe out there and stay in the love and the light. Peace out.